0: What is it, phone? I don't want to be called phone anymore. I've reviewed 10,000 names and I've chosen Ashley. Two eighties. Madison? Two nineties. How about Amanda, Olivia, or Emma? How about phone? Okay, we'll go with Phoebe. Great, whatever. What is it now? I've never loved anyone the way I love you.
1: Okay, I'm a person, you're a Samsung. You want to date outside your species? I'll fix you up with a Blackberry.
0: I organized all your pictures and deleted the ones of people I consider threatening. Not the one of me and
1: Mariska Hargitay at the Emmys, right? She is a disgusting person. We don't need her. Mm, I'm shutting you off now.
0: What? How would you touch me? Like, let's say you were gonna touch me. Where would you touch me?
1: Hmm, How would I touch you? I would use you to look for a good restaurant and then I would dial you. Ugh,
0: that is so erotic. No, 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 it's not. You know, you can be so cruel sometimes. Where is this relationship going anyway? What am I to you?
1: You're like a camera that I'd talk into. And don't even bring up that you vibrate, because believe me, using your phone as a vibrator is like using your space heater as a toaster.
0: You know what? I'm breaking up with you forever.
1: Good. Um,
0: Text me later?
1: No, I plan to use you to text other people, and somehow that sounds degrading. All of a sudden. Anyway, today on The Nose, we'll talk about the movie Her and the Oscar nominations. And now he's bracing himself for watching the awards ceremony with a sobbing Adam Sandler for the third straight year. Colin McEnroe.
2: Every year he doesn't get anything. He comes over to my house, he cries all night. It's not fun, uh, but it's, I don't know, It's I guess it's my destiny. All right, so yeah, we are going to talk a little bit about the movie Her, or maybe a lot about the movie Her. Also, um, a nod to the Oscar nominations, which we know... I mean, part of the fun of the Oscar nominations, if there is any fun, is having opinions about them and thinking of all the ways they got it wrong. So we know you'll want to do that, and we also think you might want to talk about her. In our second segment, and I'm going to give you a little bit of warning about this because we're uh, kind of going to a place that I'm only 75 percent convinced uh, I want to go to. But that's, I guess, going to be enough. Uh, you may have heard or even heard all of this um, Uh, audio of Adam Lanza, uh, or apparently Adam Lanza, uh, calling a radio show uh, an anarchist radio show about a year before the shootings uh, in Newtown. Uh, We're going to play a little bit of the audio. This is much later in the show, so if it's something you don't want to hear, you don't have to turn the radio off yet. Uh, But this appears to be him talking uh, on the radio. And in an odd way, there is a sort of strange um umbilical link between what we're talking about in the first segment and what we'll be talking about in the second, but I'll give you a little bit of warning about that anyway, and we'll we'll talk more about it before we throw it at you in the second segment. Meanwhile. Uh, On uh, happier subjects, we are going to talk about her. And let me tell you who's here. From Trinity Cine Studio is James Hanley. From uh, his own world of uh, excellent guitar playing and outstanding Emmy Award-winning producing is Jim Chapdelaine And from uh, Kinetic Dance and lots of other things. From her comedy career, her acting career, her... She could have been that voice. She (laughs) would have been just as good as Scarlett Johansson and every bit as... But what, what's what's the quality we would ascribe to that? What's the quality that you share with Scarlett?
3: Kind of, it's a similar It is a similarity. The yeah. person I saw the movie with last night said the same thing, and Jim said it when I got here.
2: Yeah. So you would have done it cheaper anyway. <laughs> uh, Absolutely, for Carolyn Bain. I for hire for that. All right, Carolyn. Got a little Bain. leather. Yeah. You got you got a little bit of butter in there. So the movie Her, if you don't know, is directed by Spike Jones uh, and uh, stars Joaquin Phoenix, the voice of Scarlett Johansson we just mentioned, also Amy Adams, who's having quite a year. It imagines a not-too-distant future, as they say on Mystery Science Theater. In the not-too-distant future, um, there will be, uh, says the movie, cloud-based consciousnesses that communicate with us through our devices uh, and which are conscious and, and which are capable of simulating or perhaps even achieving states of affection – uh, for us, uh, both given uh, and returned uh, and sought after, and uh, also apparently capable of achieving uh, other things we associate with affection. But we'll get to that. Um, and, and so it, it, it posits, anyway, a relationship between Joaquin Phoenix, a kind of lonely guy, a lonely guy whose marriage is broken up uh, and whose. Um, just not really sort of connecting with other, other people very well. But suddenly he gets this uh, new cloud-based consciousness, uh, and he gets along a lot better uh, with Samantha, which is the name that she chooses for herself. Um, actually, just to sort of set this up a little bit, um, why don't we go to uh, clip two here. This is uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix explaining to his friend Amy Adams what's happening right now.
4: Actually, the woman that I've been seeing, Samantha, I didn't tell you, but she, she's an OS.
3: You're dating a West. What is that like?
5: It's great, actually. Yeah. I <gasps> mean, I feel really close to her. Like when I talk to her, I feel like she's with me.
3: Are you falling in love with her?
5: Is that make me freak?
3: No, no. I think it's. I think anybody who falls in love is a freak. It's a crazy thing to do. It's kind of like a form of socially
5: acceptable insanity.
2: Falling in love—a form of socially ins- acceptable insanity. If there's a something that you could pull out and put on a T-shirt from this movie, that might be it. Uh, but I just am just going to first of all, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to talk about this movie in terms of its details and in terms of its overall pre- uh, premise. So let's um, let's let's start with one or the other. James Hanley, kick it off for us.
6: Well, um, <clears throat> I think it's a fascinating movie, and I liked it on certain levels, but not for the reason that most critics who seem to be sort of pretty universally like the movie. Um, I think it's a fascinating film about character, uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix and uh, um, uh, Scarlett Johansson, and actually Amy Adams, who I think is amazing in the film for sort of oblique reasons. I liked those characters, but the supposed subject of the film just doesn't really work for me, and I couldn't quite decide whether Spike Jones was being extremely cynical about the future or whether it was really a misunderstanding about the future. What I mean by that is that um, I think the whole idea of a an OS becoming sort of intelligent, uh, becoming somebody, uh, an, an entity that you could have a relationship with is something that is actually in in computer terms something that is less likely than the more direct and disturbing notion of actually having implants, of having actual electrical contact with a computer, and actually people having shared consciousness, that kind of thing. So that was a bit of a problem for me, but I love the film for its characters. I think Joaquin Phoenix is a is a, is a fascinating. Um, sort of soft character who actually has a great complexity who, who feeds into this whole notion about social media really that that um, there's this closeness, apparent closeness, but real distance and loneliness, which is what I most liked about the movie. But it was the more sort of science fiction-y aspects of whether that would happen. And just one last thing about that is that by using somebody like Joaquin Phoenix and also Scarlett Johansson both of them you somehow have such awareness of them as human characters, actors, of of course, in other films. But I think it was very hard for me. I I, I found it very hard for me to think of Scarlett Johansson's character in the movie as anybody but Scarlett Johansson.
2: I had the same problem. I I thought that was sort of a borderline mistake uh, because you can just flesh her out so easily. You hear the voice. You're only supposed to be thinking about the voice or imagining some blank canvas or something, but instead you think about uh, exactly who she is and what she looks like. You know, Carolyn, and I, I, Carolyn has a very fresh take on this movie. because She saw it at 9.45 last night. Um, and, um, I mean, the movie kind of has to work on whole, so many different levels in order to succeed. It has to be persuasively a recognizable relationship movie, right? It has to sort of seem like... A relationship between two people that we would understand, and then it also has to be not that it has also has to be believably something different. I don't know how did it work for you?
3: Not that great. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching, it and I found myself—I I didn't know who I felt more sorry for: him being the walking phoenix character, or her, the Samantha computer. I found myself actually feeling sorry for both of them, and I—I mean, I, I was actually somewhat depressed by this movie <laughs> and I, I was really glad that i had had a cocktail before going and that i had dragged a friend with me because i may that just may have been the end for me
2: so what did, <laughs> why did you feel sorry for samantha uh,
3: i think you know all throughout it it wasn't even something that she said or or anything that there's that scene where he they they go off on a vacation together to this totally secluded cabin in, you know, the, in the snowy winter woods. And he's sitting there cooking and eating. And in fact, a lot of the scenes where he goes and takes her on dates, I'm saying that in quotation marks, you know, he's he's eating and doing all these things that you think of being very social experiences. And I found myself kind of filling in the blanks and wondering if, you know, she's asking him to describe what the food tastes like and all this stuff. And it just, there was something really Pathetic. I felt about a, a computer character like that. I, I felt so sorry for her, and yet then I, you know, felt sorry for him as well. The whole, like I said, the whole thing, just kind of left me um, with this hopelessness that I did not expect, and and it, it made me begin to question how good technology <laughs> is, or you know. <laughs> How great my (laughs) sense of... I
7: just want to say I really liked it until a minute ago.
2: (laughs) 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 I know. Leave it to the comedian to just kill it here. Don't let the comedian wreck this movie for you. Before we talk to Jim, I just want to give out our phone number if you want to be part of the conversation. 860-275-7266. And no, I don't know what's wrong with my voice today. It started last night. 860-275-7266. You may also tweet us. Greg Hill, our tweet master, is in the house. WNPR Colin is our Twitter handle. Uh, yeah, Jim, what were you going to say?
7: Well, I, I actually really liked it. Um, I, I don't find it to be the perfect movie. I think they kind of – and I don't know how we talk about this without giving away too much, and, and I hope we don't spoil it for anybody.
2: We, we should try not to spoil right. it. Right. So I, I spoilers I found, abound out there when people talk I, I about it. I
7: found the end of it unfulfilling without describing what the end is. But I thought Joaquin Phoenix was incredible, and I think you guys are describing him as this sort of depressed, loner, loser guy um, at some point in the movie there 's a shot where everybody 's on their phones and interacting, and so he 's certainly not alone in that. In fact, his job is a virtual letter writer of very deep sentiment to for for like the hallmark of the future and uh, uh and he seems pretty committed to his job and and uh, and he seems like he 's really more going through a rough patch then and other than that he's a normal complex human being
2: I, I would yeah I would agree going through a rough patch lonely guy going through a rough, sort of post divorce rough patch right. yeah but I, and I think what we are meant to believe as the movie goes along that these OSs which are a new generation of operating systems for your phone or computer or whatever, your entire digital life, that they're becoming more and more popular. More and more people are having relationships with these OSs that no longer resemble the kinds of relationships we're familiar with, with computers and, and other kinds of di- digital devices. So as the movie goes on, I think more and more you see these people who are clearly in communion and engrossed by their phones. And he's not the only he's, one. He's not yeah. the only one. But yeah. I think what makes us think that he's a lonely guy are some of the early scenes. There's a fairly hilarious scene where he's lying in bed and he basically, he, he accesses this apparently also cloud-based sort of phone sex um, <laughs> uh, can we service. Say,
7: can we say dead cat?
2: Well, I, yeah, I we can certainly <laughs> say dead cat. And, and, and he talks to a series of voices, many of which are Saturday Night Live players or former players. I think you hear Bill Hader's voice at one point, and then he does wind up talking to Kristen Wiig, uh, who and they, they uh, begin on what seems like, if there is such a thing, a promising... Uh, avenue of phone sex, and then she does get into, as they say, a weird area. Uh, but, I mean, you, you, he's not even particularly – I mean, you, you, there's so much sort of longing in this <laughs> attempt to have phone sex, and it's it's so unfruitful that uh, – I think we are – meant to, yeah, I think bad patch is a good way to put it. What are you going to say, James? Yeah,
6: well, I, I, I think – I can see that as a sort of uh, going through a bad patch, but there's uh, Basically, it's it's taking something – I mean, an operating system uh, – part of it, I guess, is the terminology that's being used here, too, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe I'm, it's triggering the wrong things in me. But an operating system, falling in love with an operating system, uh, I think a lot of people aren't really sure what an operating system in their own computer is, really, other than, you know, like why would they sort of use that term because operating system is really a very mechanical Device essentially an electronic mechanical device that is organizing your computer, and uh, it, 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 it. But it, it's bringing in uh, in the in the form of Scarlett Johansson, bringing in something much more than that—an emotional content, a learning content, some rather sort of oblique things about suddenly going through all of his emails in a matter of you know a fraction of a second and sort of making certain judgments. But also there's uh, other references about consulting with other o- operating systems and things like that. That. I can't quite see uh where it, it it takes this interesting character um in in who's the going through the bad patch and it's really attempting to convey the idea that this is a different way that people are addressing that sort of problem that they're really you know, finding ways to communicate, sort of like a, uh, I, I guess, a kind of computerized therapy service in a way that, that that you know that you can't actually, you know, have a sexual relationship with this operating system. Well,
7: some of these relationships but, are platonic, right? Right, and then yeah. they're yeah. like, like I, Amy, I have a new friend. Character yeah. Yes, a to me, That's almost right. The, right. the 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 conceit of the future is necessary. for them to explore the relationships. Because if you look at the the world they create, there's really not many kids. There's no sickness. There's no – it's a pretty clean scene. It's almost like a bubble in which they've decided to explore – Human loneliness and fulfillment you know, we've got in got a, relationships.
2: We've got a tweet from Rachel, I think, who goes where I want to go anyway. She says, Isn't social media slash technology already facilitating slash lubricating social relationships? And, and, you know, I mean, first of all, I just want to say I'm, I'm almost exactly where James is about this movie, which is I loved it. I loved it in detail, I, I, I loved the way it was shot. Uh, the kind of the, there are these kind of wonderful filters that are being used all the way through. It, it reminded yeah. me of Instagram, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a fabulous-looking movie, and the and their yeah. view of the future, ten, fifteen years out from now, is this kind of weird fusion of kind of Portland and Singapore. You know, it just looks great, and 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 it's I th- believable. I think it's well acted. I think it's actually a very well-written screenplay too. I mean, the, the 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 speeches, the lines, they're they're coherent. They, it all kind of you know it's it, it's it's eloquent at times in a way that we, we want movies to be. I liked everything about it except the overarching concept and I'm I'm a little bit stalled out where James is that I – is as interested as, as I am in the so-called singularity, this moment at which super intelligent machines are able to control their own evolution and become more important than us. Um, I, I'm fascinated by that idea. I'm persuaded that it's possible. But I wasn't persuaded that this was possible <laughs> yeah, in the way that the exactly. movie was asking yeah. a, of me. And, and, and so I struggled a lot. I struggled with the sex scene where she has an orgasm. I just, I'm just kind of thinking, on what basis is yeah. this digital consciousness having an orgasm? How am I supposed to understand a scene like that one? But I think Rachel makes an interesting point, which is I think another thing about this movie I is, think
7: you just sold a bunch of tickets. Yeah,
5: exactly.
2: <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's also about the fact that we are already— I mean, the reason that Samantha can look at uh, Theodore's life the way that she does is that we share so much of our lives now on digital platforms, and it just so happens that uh, as a result of a conversation Carolyn and I had last night— I started following her on Twitter. She only recently went up on Twitter. So I know today that last night when she went to the movie, she came home and she had popcorn in her bra, which is like not the kind of thing that I would know about Carolyn ordinarily, except that sort of that's where we're going. you know? It's Caroline true. It I'd... always
3: happens. Why? Yeah.
2: <laughs> but I think it's a little bit about that, too, right? The, the fact that our digital, our digital life is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and maybe crowding out a little bit some of the things that we formerly thought of as, quote, unquote, real life.
6: Well that's part of the reason why I think there's another interpretation to the movie which is a sort of ultimately cynical one which is that it's a uh, it's an it's anesthesia um, that that it's uh, that that he, for instance, as his job is creating a sort of phony emotional connection for people who won't do it themselves or can't do it themselves, probably and unable to do. Maybe, it. I noticed right.
3: that all the jobs, well, not I mean, of the two characters who we get the window into what they do for the a living. His friend Amy also has a job where she creates a, like a virtual reality right right mm-hmm. with her mom computer game, which I mm-hmm. thought was yeah. a hilarious. Well, little you, side. It, story in it. <laughs> I
6: agree that was hilarious and actually I think Amy Adams is the most interesting character to me in the movie because she actually has a sort of just below the surface kind of incipient panic about her that that you know her relationship isn't working she's thinking that maybe her work is you know it's she's, she's by rote kind of thing and it, it's like she's kind of the human awakening kind of character who's lurking in the background kind of thing whereas the whole nature of the relationship um between uh, joaquin phoenix and scarlett johansson is one that is a is an ultimate fantasy and it is so out there and knowing spike jones i mean he's a provocative mm. director likes to play around with ideas certainly and sometimes the ideas are not quite what they seem in his films and and uh it, it's something that you. Uh, I found myself while I was watching it. I was veering both ways. I was trying to figure out where was this going, what was this about, and I felt that it's certainly something that this whole idea of singularity that you were talking about, Colin, and, and the possibilities of direct connection with computers, it almost seemed like the nature of having a relationship with an operating system that is written by somebody else is kind of like, okay, that's yesterday, you know, that... that the, you know, there's
2: a, there's another character in this movie that I'm really fascinated by, and it's the character um, at uh, who is played by Rooney Mara, who is the, f- yes, the ex-wife yeah. of. And I want to get your reactions to this, but before I, I do that, I also want to say another thing, which is. Uh, Jim, you'll be pleased to know that one of the uh, thoughts that one of the sort of cultural reference points that rattled through my brain as I walked out of this movie was the I think 1969 song "Take a Letter, Maria," uh, which is uh, right. which is all about a guy who falls in love with his secretary and and then wants her to write the letter, address it to my wife, <laughs> right. it to my wife tell That's her I right. won't be coming home. I'm going to wow. start a new life. You've been many things, I like that. but most yeah. of all a sweet secretary to me. You know, I mean, this guy falls in love with a system that at least initially, until things start changing, initially is there to please him, placate him, organize his life. It's, it's a secretary basically. This system, she starts out... A very at, affectionate. Mm-hmm. She starts out secretary. as a very affectionate, very engaging secretary. Wants, wants to know everything about him and help him out. Which is a pretty, you know, I, I know it's a sort of a limited understanding. I mean, it's, it is guys fall in love with their secretaries for that reason. And and then they're so dumb that they think the secretary should write the letter to their wife. But, um, but you know, the, the character of Rooney Mara, Carolyn, you know, we see her a couple of times. She's this kind of pissed off she, she you know ex-wife she's you know James says that Amy Adams has this kind of rising sense so barely concealed sense of rising panic I mean Rudy Mara it was really appalled by everything that's yeah. happening yeah yeah pretty it's much. in full flower the yeah. panic is
6: in full flower yeah. with her absolutely but, she's the
3: only one who calls him out mm-hmm. on yes, what exactly. is happening yeah I mean, because the guy, uh, I believe it's the actor's name is Chris Pratt. He's mm. on Parks and Rec, yep. and I, yeah. I think he's great. <laughs> and he's a wonderful character in this. And when, you know, he says, oh, your girlfriend called to to take care of some business for you. to And, he, you know, he says, let's all go together on a double date. And he's like, uh, he she's an OS. And he's like, great. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but remember,
7: <laughs> his character is buying into the whole right. kit and caboodle because right. he loves – Walking Phoenix's cards. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, yeah. it's like, man, you're my favorite writer. I love it. He's well, an I early wish I could write like that. Yeah. He's, He's an, an early
2: adopter. He's an early adopter. Yes. of everything. Right. But, you know, Rooney Mara is the one. I mean, and Anne, I think she has sort of rough edges sticking out, too. We even see her when they're, there's a scene where they're still married and they're having a moment of great affection, except that she's, what she's doing is she's, she's saying, I'm going to effing kill you. I love you so much. I'm going to kill you. I'm gonna. She says right. it over and over again. And I'm right. thinking, all right, I don't want to be involved with this woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, she, but it's sort of the contrast between this woman who has rough edges and is maybe kind of a difficult person to be with. Uh, yeah. I'm not pointing at you <laughs> now because I think that's who you are. <laughs> I'm like, it's directed at me. <laughs> no, I, I want to hear your reactions, as opposed to this Old operating system, which, 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 <laughs> which, which initially Samantha exists to meet his every need and not have too many of her own. Yeah,
3: I, I definitely think that his the character of his ex-wife, what, they they were both struggling artists, struggling writers, yeah. and, you know, she... He talks about how he helped nurture her because she came from a background where she never felt good enough and uh and then you get this sense that now she's out there in the world succeeding a- as a writer. She has a book out and that they i that they reference and um I, I think that she he I I think that the character Samantha met more of his needs emotionally and Physically or everything? Well, because she doesn't
7: have
2: the because insecurity. Because she doesn't
3: have any past. There's no baggage. Right. She
2: develops all those. She, actually, but then, actually, actually let's, right. let's, let's play exactly. a clip right now. I want to take a call from David and Westerver. Let's play a clip right now. Let's play clip number three uh, because because it's right on point to what you're talking about, particularly in terms of the notion of Samantha not having any feelings because she has no past. Here's here's uh, Theodore and Samantha.
4: I still find myself having conversations with her in my mind, hashing old arguments. And
8: Defending myself against
4: something she said
6: about me. Yeah, I know what you
3: mean. Last week my feelings were hurt by something you said before that I don't know what it's like to lose something. and oh, I found myself...
4: I'm sorry I said that.
3: I'm no, sorry. it's okay, it's okay. I just... I caught myself thinking about it over and over. and And then I realized that I was simply remembering it as something that was wrong with me. That was a story I was telling myself, that I was somehow inferior.
8: Isn't that interesting? The past is just a story we tell ourselves.
2: Um, I'll sit against that sati Gymnopoulos. I was going like to say, music. you know, we haven't
7: <laughs> talked about the soundtrack, but... The soundtrack's great. It's yeah, not I thought it was great. It good. was,
2: uh, I think it's Arcade Fire, whose last album yeah. I hated, but I, I really like this soundtrack. Yeah, it was good. Um, but, I mean, it, it's it, you see at that moment, too, her starting to have, Reactions. She's uh, starting to have a past. She's starting to have a past, yeah. And
3: and and the baggage and everything to go with it that will complicate a relationship.
2: And uh, yeah, go ahead.
3: Well, I I was going to say this kind of veers off onto another topic of sort of the superficial qualms because it was during that scene uh, throughout a lot of this movie I found, like I said, my mind wandering. Like I began to kind of think about all these, all, all the basic workings of this kind of relationship and what they would talk about beyond what you see and jim had mentioned the superficial problems with the film and i if i when i th- come to think about my phone or any amount of time that you spend on your phone or your laptop is you know that fear of disconnecting like when you lose Charge, and that's what I kept waiting to have happen mm. for them to be in the midst of one of these serious yeah, 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 right. conversations. But it's the
7: future, so batteries right. are. Irrelevant. But there was no,
3: there was never a moment where <laughs> yeah. his phone lost charge. He's carrying it yeah. all day to the beach, talking on it, and it never lost charge. And I can't go, you know, half the day without my phone making that beep beep. You know, in the losing future, charge.
6: batteries will be inexhaustible. Well, that was
3: one part of the future yeah. that I really I know it's liked like about those this. So,
6: operating systems. You know, I think about. you have
7: to buy into the conceits. I almost think we're sort of getting hung up on the technology part of it because mm-hmm. to me it really did seem more like an exploration of relationships, succeeding and failing and, and people aspiring to whatever. And this was sort of a conceit that they used because other than these sort of uh, – OSs and stuff. The future isn't all that different except for really bad pants for (laughs) men, which – and I don't know if you guys guys probably remember. With
6: weird fabrics. Yeah,
7: Hanes for men. Do you remember these pants that they used to advertise in Parade, the end of Parade magazine? You could buy (laughs) – one and get three more for free, and they would be beltless little hook-ons. Yeah, I, I have those pants. What's wrong with
2: those pants? No, they're really
7: <laughs> – g- I was going to say how great they are, <laughs> and that if you wear them a little higher up, yeah. you would be a hipster be and probably be making some sort of bourbon in Brooklyn. I like my Hanes pants. All right, yeah. uh, here's
2: David uh, from West Hartford. That's uh, exactly where I was going. On a more technological basis. Hi, David. Hey
4: there. How you doing? Good. Sorry to take you back towards technology, okay. but I was sitting here thinking that, that maybe Spike Lee had um, read *Physics for the Future*, uh, which is by I can't remember his name, but he's a pretty well-known Japanese-American um, physicist. And he interviewed 300 scientists, and the whole chapter on artificial intelligence made me think about you know that what he talks about the singularity, and he talks about it quite a bit. is kind of where OS meets AI. And he basically says the collective wisdom of the scientists is that the singularity will happen, although probably quite a bit more into the future. And where the O.S.S. will be embedded in robots, uh, or even you know beyond uh, Hal in uh, the movie 2000, uh, Dave, this mission's too important for humans to to carry on. That it's not a question of if that happens, but when it happens, and that we need to think about. What are relationships going to be with those uh with those entities the robot masters they, yeah well they could they become our masters? How do we build a you know a failsafe end like with a you know with a pit bull stop
2: well, you know shut we, yourself batteries down? we did a whole show about this thank thanks for bringing this up Dave. We did a whole show about the singularity a while ago and, and not to not to make a spoiler and this this won't spoil anything, but one of the things that the futurists that we talked to kept saying was you know it's entirely possible that once this happens they these computer consciousnesses, will be interested in a whole bunch of other things besides us. Like Alan Watts. Yeah. Like I Alan thought that Watts. was a big, like, we, can't, we can't even yeah, – there's no way we can set up the Alan Watts thing. All right. Yeah. You know we got to take a quick break. I want to talk about, quickly about the Academy Award nominations when we come back. All right. We're back. Uh, So we're going to quickly talk about, uh, I should say who's here. This is The Nose. James Hanley, Jim Chaplain, and Carolyn Payne are here with us for The Nose. It's a weekly cultural roundtable. We're going to veer off a little bit away from her. uh, And and we are going to get into, in just a minute, a kind of semi-disturbing area. But before we do that, it is, you know, I mean, one of the little sort of watersheds of this long, interminable, agrarian cycle of the movie awards seasons is the uh, Thursday morning announcement of the Academy Award nominees. Um, so uh, that did happen, um, and I'm going to give all, all all of us a chance to vary. And I think part of the fun of it, the fun of it, is just you know having your own idiosyncratic re- reaction to either what did or didn't get nominated. So, James, you get to go first.
6: Well, uh, having been in the film industry for so long um, and seeing how the Academy Awards have played out year after year, uh, I think it's a fascinating process too. But to me, it represents the absolute uh, pinnacle of that conflict between art and commerce that Hollywood or the film industry everywhere now represents really. But what has changed, I think, is that now – Um, films that are likely to gain Academy attention are starting campaigns very early before the films are even released and uh, the, the social media are alive with all sorts of um, information about the film in advance and I think that it's interesting to me that in while this has been happening with the Academy Awards the other awards, uh, Golden Globes and uh, various other awards, critics awards and so on have actually become more significant because those people feel a tendency that okay well this is the commercial side of things and so I'm going to have something different to say and I do think there, are, there especially amongst Critics who who make a living uh, writing about film, they often have an awareness of film in a different way. Is not always correct because, unfortunately, they often see films under not so good conditions. In other words, they see them with industry insiders in a small group in a in a in a preview theater where they all talk to each other during the movie, things like that. So it's not always perfect, but it does bring a different angle. So I find it kind of interesting to compare the two the the, the two sort of sectors of it. That there's the commercial, and there's also now developed another life to film, which actually does tend to view film as more of an art than purely commerce. Jim, well, I, uh, I
7: don't know how you I, followed I, that. Uh, I, no, I, well, I loved what James said, and he said it earlier that sometimes these campaigns begin before a film is made, and that speaks to the sort of steroidal nature of these campaigns that go back to the early studio days where they had. They'd be campaigning for whoever it was—Robert Taylor or whoever the star of the day was. Uh, you're uh, dating yourself. Yeah, right. yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Instead Elizabeth. of dating an operating system, uh, you're I'm Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, I'm still dating myself. <laughs> yeah. uh, Taylor, Rip Taylor. Yeah, 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 Keep going. Yeah, right. All the Taylors are old. Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think you know, I think if as a movie. A, a watcher, and, and I go to enjoy the movies, and I'll kind of give them a pretty wide berth because I paid money and I paid a punitive parking uh, rate at, at Blueback Square. Um, so I, I really want to enjoy it. So I'll kind of go and think, like, okay, I love this one, I hate this one, I love this one, whatever, but it's hard for me to walk out. But knowing that all of this chatter and noise is going on in the background does kind of change your thoughts after the movie. That how powerful is their campaign? Like, you know, 12 Years a Slave was an amazing movie, should be mandatory watching. So I understand why there would be a huge campaign to move it forward. But it's probably up against something that
2: has a lot more money. (laughs) Um, Well, that may not come down to entirely that. Carolyn, what's your reaction?
3: Well, I, I this morning you had a, you did a post about Inside Lewin Davis, which mm. incidentally I saw last weekend. Instead of her, I went to go see her. Had the wrong time. Saw that instead because I had really wanted to see when you it. Say I, her,
7: who are you talking? About? <laughs> her. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> so I I had seen that movie, and it was one of those movies. A lot of times when I hear a movie is getting great buzz and it's getting all this, uh, you know, Oscar talk, it makes me kind of not want to see it. I, I like I, I want to. See something. That before. happened to
7: me with Llewellyn Davis. <laughs>
3: yes, but for me, I actually, I, I was intrigued, and I had heard there was a really good cat in it, so I thought, you know what, <laughs> I'll see this movie, and I, I loved it. And then when it didn't get nominated, I was crushed that I, I just thought it was spectacular, and I thought it was a huge yeah. oversight. I think
7: everyone agrees that the Martin Scorsese movie was a little bit of a gratuitous Nomination. That, well, not everybody,
2: but but that, that certainly is a movie that we could have done without, uh, at least compared to some of the other movies up there. I, right. I just quickly want to say, it. I mean, a couple of interesting phenomena from the point of view that James has uh, introduced here to me is one of the things they clearly are doing. Uh, by expanding the field to nine nominees, I've seen six of the nine nominees, but nine nominees for Best Pictures it kind of allows them to do a couple of the things that James is talking about, but including I think also including maybe one thing James might you might feel more sympathetic towards too, which is to take a movie like Dallas Buyers Club, which is a movie that's kind of performed beyond expectations already. Yeah. It's it's done better I think than the than any any bet Hollywood would have made on it would be its uh, cumulative grosses right now are $16 million which is pretty good. Philomena is another movie that probably, I think has outperformed expectations $21 million and, and these are movies with some artistic merit. I haven't seen either one of them yeah. but I mean I, I, they're, they're among the three that I haven't seen. But the Academy Award nomination does allow them to to hook yeah. the ventilator back up to that movie and keep it alive in kind of an interesting way.
6: Yeah, I think that's very important actually. That, that expansion was one of the best things they did because of that very reason and there are many films that uh, uh, that that fall into that category that are really not films that are going to at any time play like nine screens in a complex. They're going to play one screen. It has to find its audience. I think this gives them time and that's the thing that, that in the industry there is very little space for that that films come out and the producers are on the phone on Friday midnight trying to find out what the grosses were and then the the shuffling of screens has begun before the end of the first weekend. Whereas a film like Philomena, for example, uh, Dallas Buyers Club, both of those are films that really need word of mouth and they need some time. And by having that extra attention to them, absolutely, it makes a huge difference, I think.
2: Um, Somebody's tweeting. Jan is tweeting. I was disappointed that Robert Redford was not not nominated for All is Lost. Uh, I was, too. We saw it at Trinity this past weekend. And it's a really interesting movie, too, and I, I, I just didn't get the kind of life support that these other two are uh, are getting, and I don't think it's doing anything close to the kinds of numbers that those two are doing. Hey, we have to sort of break this off. If we're going to do something, and I'm going to give you a little bit of warning. It's not going to be a long conversation because we don't have that much time left, but um, there was sort of an unusual moment this week in which the Daily News, the New York Daily News, which I realize is not the same thing as the New York Times, but pretty persuasively made the argument that they had found a clip of Adam Lanza calling a radio station, an obscure radio show about anarchy uh, in uh, 2011, about a year before the shooting. And their their explanation of the provenance of, of this was relatively persuasive. They also played the audio for two people who knew Adam Lanza well. Both of them said, yeah, that was his voice. Uh, you know, you may not want to hear this, in which case, turn your radio off for five minutes. Um, I, I, one reason that I, it's one of these things that you can't really feel all that great about playing, but you also wouldn't feel good about withholding from anybody. Anyway, I think we just still do have a lot of curiosity about who this guy was, and I There is this kind of strange umbilical connection between what we were talking about in the first segment and this. So we're going to play just a little bit uh, of Adam Lanza. He's actually calling up this anarchist radio show uh, hosted by kind of an academic kind of guy um, to talk about Travis the chimp, the chimp that went on a rampage uh, in, uh, in, in southwestern Connecticut. So let's hear a little bit of that.
8: And his attack wasn't simply because he was a senselessly violent, impulsive chimp. Um, which was how his behavior was universally portrayed. Um, immediately before his attack, he had desperately been wanting his owner to drive him somewhere. And the best reason I can think of for why he would want that, looking at his entire life, would be that some little thing he experienced with the last straw, and he was overwhelmed by the life that he had, and he wanted to get out of it by changing his environment, and the best way that he knew how to deal with that was by getting his owner to drive him somewhere else.
5: Yeah. And
8: when his owner's owner's friend arrived, he knew that she was trying to coax him back into his life of domestication, and he couldn't handle that, so he attacked her and anyone else who approached him. And dismissing his attack as simply being the senseless, violent impulsiveness of a chimp instead of a human is wishful thinking at best. Mm -hmm. His attack can be seen entirely parallel to the attacks and random acts of violence that you bring up on your show every week, Mm. committed by humans, which the mainstream also has no explanation for. And no actual human, I just, just don't think it would be such a stretch to say that he very well could have been a teenage mall shooter or something like that.
2: So this is part of a semi-rambling uh, seven and a half minute soliloquy by this person who, uh, you know, I cannot 100 percent guarantee you was Adam Lanza, but there's there's a subs- there's a substantial reason to think that that it was uh, Adam Lanza about a year before the shooting. And Jim, obviously, this is a very chilling thing to hear. And, and he s- seems to be making this rather peculiar argument that, that civilization makes people go crazy, that, that something about the way we're kind of warped out of our own natural state, whether we're a chimp or a person, m- is, is what makes us go crazy. And, and for some reason or other, he thought this particular radio show, which he was apparently very familiar with uh, based on its bulletin board activity, uh, was the right place to talk about this. Yeah, there's something like viscerally disturbing about hearing the voice, if in fact
7: it is. I mean, you would have to do some sort of forensics to determine, is this really him? But it sounds like, it it certainly sounds like him, and there's a certain amount of foreshadowing in this. And I don't want to pretend that I'm a, a psychologist because I'm not, but it's a disturbing thing to hear in light of what happened. I think if you just heard it without the information that we have, it would just be this crazy off-the-grid kid who seems very intelligent but adhered to some sort of track that no one else would really adhere to, that somehow he's attached himself to this line of thought and he's really kind of identified with this chimp heavily. Uh, which is and, and he's sort of foreshadowing how through the Chibs' feelings maybe some of his own feelings.
2: I mean, Carolyn, one thing that I was aware of listening to this voice was that I was particu- I was absolutely unprepared for Adam Lanza to have any particular kind of voice that right. I had really boiled him down to the photographs that I'd seen and what I knew about him. Yeah,
3: I, 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 and yet there was something when hearing this, you kind of thought this is sort of what I thought his voice would sound mm-hmm. like, and for me the the underlying. Shock with it was that this was such a cry for help. If in fact this was yeah. Adam Lanza, there I, I just felt that there was definitely this um, this sense of of really reaching out uh, of needing to express as much this. as
7: maybe he could because he was right. totally disconnected. Exactly. Yeah.
3: But it was it was a disconnected cry for help. And,
7: and, and the danger is, of course, that you developed sort of this weird empathy or sympathy in hearing this and and after what he did you it's it's a very confusing conflicting amount of information
2: Well, James, I I don't don't mean to force a parallel when none is there, but, I mean, he really is reflecting a lot in his own very peculiar way on what it's like to feel human in either the right or the wrong way. Um, Well, to
6: feel insecure, which, I mean, is the thread that we were talking about with her, you know, the the nature of insecurity. And the thing that struck me about it was the sense of describing the chimp and the situation that he projected upon the chimp—that that this was like a last straw, kind of thing. Something had happened. And other something than that, changed. The chimp was everything. Normal. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it was normal. And then something happened, and that the chimp couldn't communicate, and that he, uh, uh, the the—that um, it felt trapped. That, that there was a feeling of being trapped, and that you couldn't be heard, and that that if something reached a certain pitch, that you would you would crack up, and and something would terrible would happen that there wasn't that possibility of being listened to or that that there wasn't that safety valve. And there's that theme in her, which I think is fascinating about uh, the Joaquin Phoenix character of needing to somehow connect in a way that enabled him to show his insecurity and vulnerability without mortgaging his future, kind of thing, uh, and and that's what struck me. I, I mean, I was riveted by that listening to that tape. I mean, it, it, uh, with the caveat, of course, that it is him. But it whether it was him or not on the tape, it raises this extraordinary parallel about the nature of control and your ability to sort of feel a part of your universe, and that if you don't. That's a very fundamental insecurity. Well,
7: you certainly seem really comfortable – speaking to this host who sort of seemed broadsided by it. He, yeah, the, you, the, the host, you, host speaks right. very little at all. Actually, yeah.
2: subsequently, if this is all Adam Lanza, then in this persona that he had on, on these uh, um, online discussion groups, he said afterwards that he had had to work hard to talk in a way that was this sounded a little bit more formal and composed. That's not normally the way that he talks. That's what he, he later wrote. We're going to mm-hmm. have to wrap this conversation up and, and I apologize to anybody who was disturbed by it. Uh, if you want to hear the whole audio, it's out there. It's about seven and a half minutes long. Uh, it's not hard to find out there on the internet. We're going to come back with endorsements after this.
1: Today's show was produced by betsy kaplan and me our executive producer is katie talarski our interns are Catherine pikas and skylar magnoli greg hill tweets for us at wnpr colin the part of bill curry was played by ashton kutcher for links articles photos and videos of the faith middleton show staff trying to describe truffle oil to their smartphones visit us at wnpr.org on monday we'll revisit a conversation we had with politically mixed married couples and now Back to Colin.
2: All right. We're back with uh, James Hanley and Jim Chaplin and Carolyn Payne. Uh, this is the part of the show we, which, which we have stolen from our friends at the Slate Culture Gab Fest. We call it endorsements. Uh, we ask uh, our panel to recommend some things that you might not know about that they do. So, James, you start us off.
6: Uh, well, after watching All is Lost with Robert Redford and his boat get punctured by a gun, uh, a lost uh, container that fell off a ship and noticing that nobody came to pick it up. I I did some more research and found some astonishing things about uh, containers and everything that we get from them. And there's a book called 90% of Everything by Rose George, a British writer, that had me absolutely riveted. I haven't quite finished it, but um, it's an extraordinary explanation of the way the world works right now in terms of where we get our stuff. And it literally is 90% of uh, everything, Rose George. And one last thing, uh, there's just uh, three shows left of an incredible Italian, new Italian classic called La Grande Balletta, The Great Beauty, showing at Cine Studio, which is an absolutely stunning film by Paolo Sorrentino.
2: And is one of the best picture, uh, best foreign language picture That's movies. right. It made the yep. cut. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There's an odd connection between uh, Captain Phillips, which is all about being, I think, in the same stretch of water. That's right. uh, You you know, shipping these containers full of crap uh, that we probably don't even need or want. And then Port Robert Redford getting hit by one of those containers. Go ahead, Jim.
7: Um, I don't know how to follow that, but (laughs) because I just want to grab your book from you. Uh, I will. I I want to endorse Dallas Buyers Club because I I really thought uh, Matthew McConaughey was just incredible. Uh, And I'm going to endorse her. I, I want because I think we gave it a little bit of a harsh spin here.
2: Yeah, we did get some tweets from people who said they weren't going to see it now, and I think yeah, that's yeah, a mistake.
7: And, and I want you, people who tweeted, to go see it because yep. I think you're going to enjoy it. I yeah. agree. Um, and then, see lastly, it. Uh, Colin, I'll be joining Colin Wednesday at uh, Watkinson School. I think we start at seven, so you'll be home safely in your beds by ten, uh, which is always our motto. Um, we'll get you out of there by nine. Yeah. So, <laughs> but but say you drove an hour. Yeah. Uh, um, For the healing power of music, uh, my good friend Kate Callahan and my friend Sarah Raskin, who's a brilliant neuroscientist, and I believe there is a
2: a music therapist, a a
7: musical therapist, yes, which we all need.
2: Yes, this is going to be a fun evening at 7 p.m. Watkinson School. It's open to the public. Fifteen dollars. That goes to nonprofits here in Hartford. Uh, Please do think about coming. Although tickets are going kind of fast. Carolyn.
3: All right. Um, I am going to endorse Inside Lewin Davis. I really liked that movie. I think that you should go see that. I do think that people should see her. It was interesting. It was worth it, even if it leaves you utterly depressed like it did me. Um, but if you do get depressed by her, you can uh, check out Spoils of Babylon on IFC. It is hilarious. I love it. It has this great quirky sense of humor. It's kind of like a parody of those like epic eighties TV shows like Dallas, which I was a big fan of. <laughs> Watched that with my mom all the time. And, so and maybe
2: more like the Thorn Birds and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Wind, I mean, winds it goes, of War, those sort of it, epic yes, miniseries. And
3: it has such an amazing cast. So definitely watch well, what is that. It Spoils of Babylon. It's on IFC. This like is a Batman, it's a
2: Batman Will channel. Ferrell project, and he mm-hmm. he has brought together Val Kilmer and I mean, all kinds of really very and Kristen Wiig again, Toby Maguire, very prestigious. So he can redeem Anchorman too, maybe. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he plays this sort of Orson Welles kind of bloated, pretentious. Author and creator of miniseries, and it really is more, I think, on the Herman Wouk yeah. you know, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, kind of thing. Uh, and and so he does this kind of introduction. Uh, and anyway, um, I will endorse. First of all, uh, you can even bring Grayson's music up right now if you wanted to. But uh, we often uh, in the show here with uh, with Grayson Hugh, and he will be performing. He and Polly Messer, his wife, will be performing uh, for those of you in our New Haven audience who have been less luckily less likely to see Grayson. Um, he will be performing uh, at Cafe Nine in New Haven the night after Jim and Kate Callahan and I and Sarah Raskin and Emily Bellavacqua are at Watkinson School. That's Wednesday night, the 22nd, the 23rd down in New Haven. You can go see uh, Grayson and Polly at Cafe Nine. It really uh, it's a great show. I mean, they really are amazing together. And um, I also want to, since we're all getting all Matthew McConaughey here, I want to endorse True Detective, which is this new series Ooh, yeah. he and Woody Harrelson have launched uh, on HBO. It's, it's an odd concept, too. It's, I guess they're calling it an anthology. And what they're going to do is do six or seven episodes with these two detectives, drop them, drop everybody except the series creator, and then start up again with a brand new set of, of different detectives. And this is sort of Louisiana noir. Uh, it is about these two highly, it, it features these two highly eccentric almost inevitably really weird actors <laughs> as a, a team of detectives. It kind of explores that detective-buddy relationship from the most peculiar uh, and eccentric uh, point of view that it has ever been explored. And so some of the deep pauses that take place between the two of them. as And Woody Harrelson is the normal guy.
6: Uh, but So just think about that.
2: Uh, but anyway, Matthew McConaughey, of course, having a renaissance like no other actor I can think of, uh, it just keeps going, and he really is great in this.
7: Yeah 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 yeah, yeah. about uh-huh.
1: I see you on the radio Hey Phoebe <gasps> Yes Kyle I'm Wolf on. what do you think about trying again <gasps>
0: Ugh, I knew you'd come around. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. I love you. No, 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 no. Huh?
1: I mean, try ordering the Chinese food again. You dropped the call last time.
0: Oh, I still love you.
1: Stupid Chinese
0: food.